Hello, hello, hello. These are your hosts, Atid and Tapan, and this is Cold Brew Money. We are talking about money because your friends and family won't. Hi, Atid. How are you doing? Good, yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Atid. What What are your special plans for the day? Oh, uh, no plans. We were planning to go to like uh, Philly, uh, Philadelphia, and just roam around and around. Oh, but man. the weather is not very good, so. Oh. <laughs> what about you? What's going on with you? I am going to eat. I'll sleep. I'll wake up, and I will eat more. That's my beautiful plan for the day. That is so special that everyone needs to celebrate love because Hallmark says so. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could probably cover like uh, a whole episode on how did this come about right the valentines day come about and is there roots of capitalism <laughs> there are definitely but for most of all it is there are yeah yeah there, there's a nice planet money episode uh, which uh, covers not planet money some other i don't remember reply all i think i don't know hmm. which covers all the holidays that there are and then they go and there's some lady who has registered 340 odd holidays You oh. can register new holidays, right? So oh, really, oh, yeah. I okay. So she she had the most number of holidays registered or something. So they found her and they talked to her. It was it's, it's an interesting episode. In other news, I started the dollar cost averaging Bitcoin. Oh, okay. nice. Welcome to the club, I guess. Every week, what? Yeah. Welcome to the club, I guess. Yeah, but then I've become that person who have started advising everyone to start investing into Bitcoin every time we talk. So I've become that person. Yeah, and everyone is like, everyone is asking the questions that I was asking you a couple of months ago, like why Bitcoin? What's the issue? Everyone can check out our previous episode on Bitcoin. <laughs> we cover all of that. But yeah, I've become that person. I'm telling everyone like, why should you be investing in Bitcoin? And everyone is asking the same questions that I was asking you, right? Like I don't see the value in Bitcoin. I I don't understand what it is about and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, in our, uh, we have a WhatsApp group uh, with all my school friends and all. And I've been a big proponent of Bitcoin. I've been tracking price Bitcoin since it was like twelve thousand or something. Uh, when every time it goes up for like five thousand, I I just you know reply to the thread. Uh, that now, I think right now it was like some. It was about to reach fifty k, but it didn't. It went back to forty eight thousand. Um, but yeah, like even they they think it's a Ponzi scheme and um, you know there's no value in it and all of that. So I keep sending them the podcast link. <laughs> but you shouldn't be rubbing it, and you know when it goes, no, if it no, no, we're just tracking. I'm not rubbing. Uh, you know, I'm not showing off or anything like that. I mean, it's lucky. I, you know, we just got lucky with the timing of the podcast episode, also, and all of that. Uh, but it's just fun to see like how crazy the. The environment in general is right. So, yeah, mm. yeah I was I, I was uh, split between Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin, and then I just went with Bitcoin. I might. Yeah, it's a good starter uh, crypto, and now it's a portfolio of both Ether, Ethereum, and Bitcoin is good. So, Atit, what are we doing today? 
today we are doing something different uh, we'll play a conversation that uh, our friend daksh had with viral acharya on uh, dollar gujarati podcast okay, so viral acharya is right now the professor of economics at uh, new york university's school of business and he was the youngest deputy governor of rbi he, he had a new book coming out at the time and he was there to talk about the book and also he talks a lot about other things also like how to you know introspect becoming self aware he believes that if you do what you like you'll end up doing that thing really well and if you do that thing well there will be a demand for you right even if like the total addressable market for it is not high but if you like doing it there there will always be a demand for you so uh, he talks about that he talks about the importance of discipline having a discipline and focus is uh, very important to like success in that field so um i think it will be a great listen uh if you are interested in uh indian finance um his thoughts on how to just manage your money as well as your career i think it's a great lesson so we'll we'll play that episode today okay that sounds interesting you did you read the book yeah i have the book uh i i, I read like few few chapters i haven't finished it so mm. I'll, i'll pick it up again i at uh, shall fit but i'll pick it up again Yeah. Okay, that sounds interesting. So today we are listening to a separate episode uh, by Viral Acharya from Dollar Gujarati. So let's let's start it after this ad. Welcome to Dollar Gujarati, a show about successful Gujarati entrepreneurs and professionals in America. We talk with them about their ideas and struggles on the road to success in this land of opportunity. As immigrants ourselves, we want to understand the different paths that successful immigrant Gujaratis have taken to establish themselves. This will also help us to navigate our journey in America. Hello everyone, our guest today is Dr. Viral Acharya. Dr. Viral is a professor of economics at New York University's School of Business. He was the youngest deputy governor of the RBI and held the position from January 2017 to July 2019. Dr. Viral has taught at London Business School before being called back to his alma mater in New York during the 2008 financial crisis. Dr. Viral is an alumni of New York University, IIT Bombay, and perhaps most importantly, Fellowship School in South Bombay. Uh, we are glad to have you on our show, Dr. Viral. Uh, thank you, Daksh. Uh, thank you, Avni. Uh, thank you for inviting me to participate in this conversation. It's both my honor and privilege uh, to be invited, uh, and I hope I can do justice to whatever you want to get out of me. <laughs> uh, so let's first talk about uh, your childhood and academic life. Uh, I understand that you were a star performer right from school. As, so when you were in fellowship and at IIT Bombay uh, you stood first or thereabouts in every year academically uh, yeah i think i was uh, it's fair to say i was uh, i was uh, i was basically a complete nerd i think that's what you are politely trying to say uh, and i and i can't agree with you more uh, Uh, it was an interesting phase of my life in some ways uh, you know it's it's also interesting because 
helps you understand what sometimes uh, creates uh, passion and drive uh, inside individuals so i was in a fellowship school as you mentioned it is basically an all sort of it's basically a school mainly consisting of gujarati families we had an english medium uh, part of the school also after fifth standard uh, but one of the ambitions of the school had always been that uh, some student should figure in the state wide merit list so that time in the board exams there used to be top 51 ranked students of each state and you know it was a matter of great pride uh, for schools to be able to say that we are regularly placing students in the merit list or we have had a student in the merit list so i think that was really uh, kind of like a tailwind uh, behind me uh, and i think when a couple of the school teachers uh so potential uh, and you know there were many other excellent uh, students around me but when they saw potential that some of us might be able to make it uh, i think they they kind of set this goal for us uh, for some of us uh, and maybe because i'm such a natural nerd uh, i i kind of uh, took it on and i said okay this you know this luxury as they call it we must uh, we must attain it as the hindi song goes you know lakshya ko har hal mein pana hai you know that's it uh, rishik uh, uh, rithik roshan tarhanak the directed movie so i think it became a drive uh, it became a target it became a focal point i think for my preparations uh, and i think it was really that which kept me going and i think the reason why i spell it out so much is because it did lead to this fact that once i went into and you know it sort of continued i had a little bit of a hangover of this nerdiness uh, into my college and uh, and iit as well uh, but i think as i reached my undergraduate i figured that uh, you know this was not enough in a target by itself uh, means clearly it was very interesting to have prepared so well for it and attained it Uh, but there was more to life than uh, than just the exams uh, you had to be well rounded you needed other soft skills which uh, i think frankly to be honest i i lacked in them to an extent because of the excessive focus on one dimension of the personality uh, and i think iit was in that sense more special i think it was a more well rounded experience uh, i think i took to a fair bit of extracurricular activities in fact i took to music and started singing Uh, in bands and things like that right around that time i i I'd sort of had always played cricket but not sort of taken it very seriously so i started doing that i i did a lot of group work and leadership work uh, for the computer science department where i did my undergraduate and so i i think it was a it was a rounding off experience for me and so uh, i think you know you are what you are so uh, deep at heart i'm probably still a nerd uh but you know in a way i iit and the wonderful set of uh both smart and multi talented versatile personalities around me at iit i think they kind of provided me a little bit of a finish but if i look back i think in a way those early phases at fellowship school they were very crucial i think uh, my school teachers uh i owe a lot to them because they created this ethos of hard work that that listen it's not just about ability ultimately to attain the targets you have set for yourselves 
you really need to work diligently day in day out uh, and you know since we are all gujaratis i can tell you i love playing dandia and i remember for 3 years in a row 8th 9th and 10th grade i skipped dandia in my street like every single night of navratri because i was preparing for some exam or the other but you know that was the level of dedication that uh, that they kind of set us up for and i think it was worth it and just think about it i think if you have seen the movie sachin uh, on sachin tendulkar uh, you know he talks about how he used to get up just every day and sometimes play like four or five matches in a day and i think it was it's that kind of single minded passion i'm i'm, I'm not saying anything i've done is even remotely close to what uh, sachin tendulkar has achieved but i'm just trying to make a point that i think sometimes uh, your teachers uh, set certain targets for you Uh, and i think it is not so much whether you achieve that target or not but i think it's that discipline the diligence the dedication of uh, sort of you know staying your course and giving it all you can and i think that is what i i'm sort of carrying through uh, and i think it is such a it, it is such a boon to have had that training from someone yeah and is it also true that sailesh sir got together a group of teachers to tutor you and uh, Uh, and other students uh, free of cost so that you guys would make it to the merit list yeah absolutely i i have no idea about the other students but he certainly didn't uh, charge uh, us as a family a single rupee actually in fact i remember after the first time when he had taken the payment at the next class he actually returned it saying that no 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 i i should have never taken this and yeah it's just absolutely remarkable and i think it it kind of shows that for even for them this was not about Uh, it was not a commercial activity you know they were so devoted and dedicated to their job uh, and what it took and really it was this passion this drive that no we can do it we can actually produce a student in our school who makes it to the merit list and i think once someone is charged with that conviction it's infectious uh, you know the energy they bring to the table is very infectious and i've seen this in many settings in life uh, you mentioned about uh we will talk a little bit later about pratham one of the education ngos in india i have been uh, fortunate to be closely associated with and when i see the team that has set it up it's really that energy that conviction that no we can do it uh, and then that just it's infectious it carries all the other volunteers and team members through uh, so yeah you you mentioned uh, about uh, doing extracurricular stuff when you were in iit uh including singing and playing cricket uh and uh, i think sachin is one of your heroes and uh, i was fortunate enough to see his final match at wankhede and uh, i can tell you the stadium was in emotion when he was giving his speech uh so uh, is is there any uh, any value that singing and cricket and i think you also play a lot of tennis uh have these had an impact on you uh, beyond just the pure pleasure of playing them or singing yeah absolutely uh, so just to say I, of course i'm 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 a big fan of sachin tendulkar i'm i'm an equally big fan of rahul dravid actually because 
a lot of what I have brought into my career or into my experience as a central banker is actually closer to the batting style of Rahul Dravid. I'm, I'm, I'm not as flashy and uh, perhaps as talented as Tendulkar, but I, I have the perseverance and the grit of the wall, as they call him. So I, I, I thought I'll just throw that in. But of course, these are all, uh, I think, the two of them, along with Saurav Ganguly and uh, VBS Lakshman, I think they were just such a terrific uh, Indian team batting lineup to follow. And they, and they really worked so hard, I think, to be where they are. Uh, no, I think extracurricular activities are very important. I think they give you a certain amount of balance uh, in life. Uh, it's, 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 it might seem a bit paradoxical, but it's almost you have better focus if every day you are unfocused <laughs> for a little bit of time and you take out time to do something else. But I think the key is not that you are unfocused. The key is that they give you... Every activity brings with it its own set of challenges, its own set of uh, skills and packaging that you need to bring to the table. Uh, what I like about tennis, I'm playing tennis now because playing cricket is a little harder uh, in the in the U.S. Uh, so, uh, but you know, it's it's once you are there, it's every ball. You know, it's it's like it's like every moment is the same. I used to keep wickets when I was playing cricket and. To me, the most interesting thing was that as a wicketkeeper, if you lost your concentration for even a split second, that was it. You know, you lost a catch or you missed a run out and uh, or you or you gave away runs in buys, which were freebies. And, you know, that was it. So I think I think in a way what I like about the extracurricular activities is that it's all of course, you have to like you have to do activities that you enjoy doing. Ultimately, they are for relaxing the mind, relaxing uh, your nerves, uh, you know, sleeping well and so on, and staying healthy. Uh, but, 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 but it's, it's all cross training in my view. I think they are all preparing you in one way or the other for uh, for sort of like the bigger challenges that you take on. Uh, what else? Uh, I think uh, singing in particular, I like a lot. Uh, I think I, I've, I feel like music is something special. I think it has a universal appeal. Uh, it's not a coincidence that perhaps you know the seven notes are the same whether it's in India or or in Western music, uh, and 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 it's kind of like a world in itself, and that's what I I like about any of these activities. Once you get into tennis, and you and you try to understand even one player, take Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal or Djokovic or Serena Williams or uh, you know. Naomi Osaka, whoever the best players are, once you start watching their game and you see what they are doing, you can see this is like a world in itself. You can spend your entire life just trying to understand why they are doing what they are doing and how you can try to do a little bit of that on the court. Uh, so yeah, no, it's 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 good fun. But as I said, I think the balance is what I value the most. Uh, they, it's a way of recharging your batteries uh, every day. Uh, as I said, get a little bit unfocused each day so that you can be focused in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, after IIT, you moved to the United States. Uh, you initially were pursuing a PhD in computer engineering, uh, but then something happened in the first year, and you switched your uh, PhD in uh, to, to a PhD in finance. Uh, so. Why would you take uh, this decision, especially at a time, uh, this was 1995-1996, when the dot-com boom was just taking off in Silicon Valley. And it is a very counterintuitive step. Uh, I mean, I don't think some, like I would have even imagined switching from computer engineering during those times to finance. 
so could you tell us a little bit more about uh, how you yeah, made yeah. the decision yeah no absolutely um, yeah it, it was uh, you know it was really uh, it, it was a continuation of the theme i had earlier which is that i had sort of become very good at taking tests but had not asked hard questions of myself as to what it is that i really want to do what it is that i want to be what's my calling what's my inner passion uh, and it was only in iit as i started understanding my own self a little bit that i realized that you know i did well in the entrance exam so i took computer science because that's what anyone who had a chance to do that time as you said it was such a uh buzzing field it still is uh, but you know that was really like the golden era of computer science in a sense uh but i realized i had no perhaps aptitude for the field and certainly it didn't excite me uh, that much uh given my background i was trying to do more mathematical things in computer science but uh, in the end i felt this is not what i wanted to do with myself so in my last year of iit itself i took uh, i took some elective courses and i took one in international finance with uh, professor pushpa trivedi at iit bombay and i i liked the subject i liked the material that she was covering and i think that was my sort of first serious exposure to economics uh i i had a family friend who was doing a phd in finance uh, at nyu had just graduated uh, through him i reached out to some faculty members who eventually were my advisors at nyu but i was i was a bit late uh, in the application process so i i had already applied for computer science before having all these thoughts so i came to nyu i did a year of computer science phd but then i formally switched over but i think it was really it it was a big leap uh, it was frankly uh, uh, sort of a big dive without knowing whether you will survive or whether it's the right sea that you want to be swimming in uh, but i think i just went a bit with my instinct uh, after having taken that course that this that the subject of economics seemed interesting it seemed closer to human life at least to me than what i was doing in computer science which was very abstract mathematics uh and i think in the end i think it was the right call life i feel i have a much more aptitude liking and ability to do well in the field it comes more naturally to you certain things come more naturally and so so I, i think i'm glad i ultimately started asking the difficult questions of myself and made the switch of course when you switch a field it's never easy it takes a while to get used to uh, the new the new frameworks uh, you don't have good intuition for the subject very early on so it requires very high fixed costs uh, of investment and you know a phd is a good way of actually digging in uh, and, and making those investments uh but you know i think to to paraphrase it in uh, you know one of my favorite music composers in india is rd burman the son of uh, sd burman and i love both of their compositions uh, but in one of the uh, documentary on rd burman uh, gulzar saab who wrote a lot of lyrics uh, and made movies where rd burman composed music for him uh he he used to say that you know uh, with rd burman he was in a phase of life where jahan hame khud ki kaam ki nahi khud ki talash hoti hai you know you are not looking for work you are looking for yourself you are trying to identify what is it what is it that you are uh 
and I think it's very important for everyone to do that at some point, not just be part of some uh, humdrum routine and the rat race. Uh, because I think ultimately, if you like what you are doing, uh, you end up doing it well. And if you do well what you do, there's a demand for you, I think. That's my sense. It doesn't matter what you do, really. I think, uh, you know, there's always value attached by people who, who just do their job uh, well with a good level of integrity, fun, excitement, creativity, and what. And, that, and all that just comes once you know that it's your calling. You know, everything just falls in place. So, yeah. Clearly, it was a successful switch. <laughs> so, when you were in your PhD uh, program, was it your ambition uh, to come back to India to work with the RBI to affect policy in India? Was that an ambition that you had during your studies, or did that develop over time? I would say it it really developed over time. Uh, I think it was uh, it was a juxtaposition of a few things. Uh, one that uh, during my PhD days, especially in 1997-1998, you know there was the Russian default, uh, the Southeast Asian crisis, a big hedge fund long-term capital management uh, sort of practically failed in 1998. And then you had the dot-com bust uh, of 2000-2001. So there was a fair bit of uh, fragility uh, in the global economy and financial markets. And so I started sort of developing an interest in studying financial crisis, banking, how banks and markets interact, uh, why, why do such global crises when they unfold, why are they so hard-hitting? Uh, and uh, I think for anyone who studies financial crisis in a way, the central bank is the ultimate institution you could work at because, you know, they are the crisis managers. Uh, they are the institutions that were designed to actually manage financial stability for the countries. Uh, so, of course, my research started getting closer and closer to what central banks are interested in. Uh, of course, if you were an Indian in finance and economics at that time, it was hard uh, not to notice and be inspired by the meteoric rise of Raghuram Rajan in the field. Uh, he had been about, I think, 10 years uh, ahead of me, but you know, he had sort of very quickly established himself as one of the uh, most thoughtful uh, researchers, especially in the banking, central banking uh, area. I think uh, in a way, my cord has been there, it's been strong. I think Pratham, the charity that I mentioned, has also played a very important role in keeping this umbilical cord very tight. Uh, and so I, I thought it was a very natural way for me to kind of establish a connection back to India. That. Uh, I, I felt I had the right skill set uh, and background to perform the job at the central bank. This, uh, this story is particularly interesting for us uh, because like all three of us, as well as most of our friends, we keep having this discussion whenever we meet uh, socially that, you know, we want to go back to India. Uh, we have, as you say, an umbilical cord attached to our motherland. Uh, but we we've never we, we are we're not able to come to a conclusion of uh, how can we navigate this decision, when should we navigate the decision, 
and especially now with this entire immigration the immigration policy in america not being so favorable so we are we are we are in a dilemma whether to spend more time in america or go back right now and establish ourselves in india uh, do you have any advice for us on how to think about this so you know physical proximity to me is no longer as crucial as it was say 30 years back i think the barriers are really really getting removed and now they are like i think i think they are paper thin at this stage i think given all the technological revolution that has taken place so so i think uh, you know i i don't mean to say i really have a silver bullet on how to think about these issues but i would just say that if the immigration constraint binds then of course accept it and optimize within that but these are the two real questions you have to ask like where would i be best placed to pursue what my interests are of course you have to factor in uh, various family constraints when you do that uh, but second in terms of being connected to india giving back uh, helping out in some way making the world and india a better place uh, i think you can be anywhere today and yet make a meaningful contribution and i think you should just look out for the opportunities that that are where they are i i think uh, let me put it slightly differently i think what i'm trying to say is that it's no longer the case that you have to wait for an opportunity to go back to india to contribute you can start contributing right now from exactly where you are there's just so much opportunity that is possible given that we are all digitally connected with with anyone we want in india uh, of course the access is not as great in all parts of india but then there are organizations who would create this access to the rural uh, and the hinterlands so while i was introducing you uh, i missed out on an important aspect of your life so let's touch upon pratham uh, and the pratham foundation uh, for our listeners Dr. Viral's share of proceeds from the sales of his new book are going to go towards Pratham India and Pratham USA. Uh, so, Dr. Viral, what is Pratham, and uh, what is your involvement with it? So, uh, Pratham is really uh, at the end of the day, it's a very grassroots, community-oriented uh, uh, education NGO. It provides uh, literacy, skilling. Uh, literacy for uh, young children and school-going children, skilling for youth uh, uh, in sort of mainly underprivileged uh, parts of India. It was set up uh, in the 90s as part of a UNICEF effort to develop low-cost, scalable, replicable solutions that would work in emerging markets such as India, where the scale of educating millions of children is so large. that you can't really hope to provide like the highest quality education with the best physical infrastructure and the best facilities and the best computers etc to each and every child out there you have to sort of lift a very large uh, number of uh, these children above uh, sort of certain minimum reading writing uh, counting arithmetic uh, standards very very quickly uh, it started off uh, with a grant from unicef uh, if you were taking british airways flights around that time there would be this pouch uh, in the in the airline seat called change for good Uh, and you know that that uh, that collection was partly used actually to seed uh, the initial efforts of Pratham. And then from 1998 onwards, uh, Pratham uh, sort of uh, started on its own feet. 
but you should uh, if you get a chance i would highly recommend you to go to prathams india website which is pratham.org www.pratham.org they have been very creative and upbeat about responding to the covid situation so just imagine uh, it's it's hard uh, keeping kids engaged uh, with curriculum even in a developed uh, society such as the united states Uh, in india where children are often walking or biking long distances to get to the school in the first place their access to technology is not always great uh, continuing to provide them uh, uh, curricular content during the covid phase has been a big challenge now as i said pratham has always been sort of very problem solving oriented so they had worked out several digital solutions they had a lot of content in several different languages to provide at different uh, grades of schools and you know in india because technology is spread so unevenly they had to use everything they had to use like small phones they sent smss in order to deliver some content they had to use radio uh, you know we 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 can't even think about radio anymore how many yeah. times do we think about a radio in in the united states in a year but they they even used radio because they figured out this is one of the most effective mechanisms to reach actually the corners of the country that you can't even you don't even know who's listening to you on the radio right so so once you start delivering these content and if there is demand for it uh, and i think there is one of the most satisfying thing about the association with pratham has been how keen even the poorest indian family is to educate its children i think it's sort of very heartening it's a very uplifting uh, thing once you see it in the mother's eyes or the father's eyes that you know they are they are burning the midnight oil uh, in order to get their kids uh, into school and by and large when they take hard decisions like taking the kids out of school is very often because either the school is not meeting their expectations or the child is lagging behind but there's no remedial education uh, but otherwise i think uh, you know that demand for education in india is very very high uh, and i think i would say pratham has been one of the many charities where it is the one that i know more closely that's been able to meet this pent up demand uh, of the indian society over the last 20 years on a on a low cost scalable and replicable manner and i want to stress that yeah i i will also urge all our listeners to go to www.pratham.org and all three of us will also look into it and see how we can contribute i'm a big believer that every drop makes the ocean so just go to pratham.org prathamusa.org and uh, let us know what you can do thank you so your new book is called quest for restoring financial stability in india so the book is about your speeches when you were at the rbi and it includes a new chapter called fiscal dominance a theory of everything in india that those are some really heavy words uh, so could you give us like a like a simplified version of what the book is about sure uh, yeah uh, you know the long and short of it is that the financial sector uh, banks and other institutions that provide credit uh, they could be microfinance institutions there are several non bank lending institutions that provide like auto loans uh, they may be providing uh, loans to buy tractors to the farmers they might be giving loans to farmers even against their cattle for example so you know there's all kinds of credit uh, institutions in an economy uh, that help uh, 
sort of channel savings to those who can deploy it into useful purposes. Uh, their stability, the stability of these credit institutions is, 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 has been shown in academic research to be very crucial for stable long-run growth of the economies. The reason is that when these entities are not doing very well in the sense that they have taken too much risk uh, on their loans or their underwriting standards have not been great uh, and they don't have enough loss absorption capacity, so they've not retained enough savings in order to absorb the losses when the loans go bad, uh, then what happens is their ability to provide new credit to those who are demanding credit at a given point of time becomes very heavily compromised. Partly, they're always tied up in cleaning up the mess of their legacy problems of the bad loans that they had made in the past. Uh, and, you know, even if they make new loans, they are trying to charge very high rates so that they can cross-subsidize some of the losses that they are making on the other loans. Uh, and of course, this has been, this was witnessed even in the developed economies around housing crash of 2007-2008. It took banks and the financial sectors a very, very long time to repair themselves. And in many countries, in, in part in Europe, countries are still not actually fully recovered even after 10 years. So, so financial stability, which is the health of these credit intermediaries, uh, is extremely crucial to ensure that when the economy has growth impulses, when new opportunities are springing up in different industrial sectors uh, or in new technology, uh, that these intermediaries are able to channel the savings to those who can create value at a given point of time. So I, I think the bottom line of the book is that uh, India as a whole needs to pay much closer attention to maintaining financial stability in at healthy levels. And and why? What is the headwind uh, to this sort of very uh, sort of very what what seems like just very basic common sense? Uh, what is the headwind to that? The headwind to that is that it requires that sometimes you don't make loans even when they are being demanded because not all loans are good loans. Sometimes there can be excess demand for loans. Uh, bankers and other intermediaries need to engage in due diligence to ensure that the risks that they are taking in paying out loans is commensurate with their capacity to withstand these risks when things go bad. So if, if you do too many bad loans today, oh yeah, there, there's a lot of activity, a lot of investment takes place. But if in three years time it all goes bad, then the new cycle of opportunities that is going to come up at that point will now uh, not get the credit that it deserves. It may it may effectively get suffocated for funds uh, at that time. And if you don't solve the problem, this can actually, the cycle can just repeat. Uh, what makes a country great is not one particular credit boom. It's really about good growth over 20 to 30 year period on a very sustainable basis. Uh, what makes a country great is if you have financial institutions that can channel credit to the right places so that where the best ideas and the minds are, uh, they are not actually starved for funds uh, in order to take on their ideas and opportunities. So, so fiscal dominance is a term that was used in macroeconomics uh, for a situation in which a central bank, which is primarily supposed to focus on maintaining inflation, which is price increases 
in reasonable monetary policy. Uh, uh, so it, it was meant to use monetary policy to keep inflation at reasonable levels. But if government debt is very high, the monetary policy gets focused on helping the government roll over its debt and it sidesteps its primary function of keeping inflation in check. So it sacrifices inflation because it wants to keep the government uh, bond tap running. Uh, what, what I'm arguing in my chapter is that fiscal dominance in India goes beyond that. That fiscal dominance in India is not just dominance of monetary policy and sidestepping of inflation goals. The fact that government debt is very large means public sector banks can't be well, can't be in good healthy balance sheet positions, so they can't lend very well. And then the entire gamut of banking regulation that the central bank sets is compromised in order to ensure that banks can be made to look good, even though they really aren't. What really should happen is that the government should cut its expenditure somewhere else, recognize financial stability as an investment, a structural change in the long run of the interests of the economy. But that's getting crowded out because of the short-term myopic focus on continuing with your same old, same old revenue subsidy expenditures. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling for a debate, I'm calling for a bigger discussion that we can't just keep thinking about quarter to quarter, six months to six month debt rollover problems. I think we have to structurally set the system right so that we can actually focus on where we would like the country to be in 10 or 20 years time. This is really interesting for anybody, I think, with a background in finance. And I also think in other fields also because an interest in uh, India's stable financial sector is in the interest of any young Indian. Uh, so I urge all our listeners to pre-order the book. It's called Quest for Restoring Financial Stability in India. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, we'll have a link on the podcast. Uh, I would also highly recommend Dr. Viral's older book. It's called Guaranteed to Fail, uh, which has insights on how the United States navigated the financial crisis in 2008. And uh, perhaps it will, it will be a good primer to study how countries such as India will come out of the debt crisis, which has been caused not just because of the coronavirus, but just to understand how the financial system works. And uh, Dr. Veeran, in fact, if I, I could just add, uh, yeah. in fact, I had I, there is also an India version of the Guarantee to Fail book. It has an India chapter at the end, and there, about ten years back, I was pretty much making the same point, which is that the control, the, that the that the presence of the state in the financial sector is a bit too overarching and and, and overpowering. Uh, I'm giving it a slightly different slant given my central banking experience uh, in the new book saying that it's now reaching not just the institutions, but it's actually now very uh, closely getting entwined with the central bank regulations and the policies themselves. Uh, and, and I would say, uh, you know, of course, uh, I'm a financial economist and I widely advertise myself as a deep nerd at the beginning of this of this podcast. Uh, so the book is nerdy in parts, uh, but, but there are some uh, uh, essays in there which are, I think, very accessible. There is one on microcredit. Uh, which where I've really strung together images of Mumbai and India uh, when I was going to the RBI office, what I was observing on the sidewalks, my experiences of Pratham, my experiences with women who were figuring out how to send their children to 
private coaching classes to get them into computer science uh, and what kind of enterprises they were setting up. So there are some even story-like things. In fact, there's a very short two-page uh, essay on uh, on how banks would benefit if they made loans which were very small, just like the small shampoo sachets that we see in India. I don't know if you've ever stayed in a small hotel or uh, oh yes yes in I India you, you get these small sachets of shampoo that you you know you are you are in the shower and you can't figure out a way to open them <laughs> but the beauty of that sachet is that it is so small that anyone can afford it all over India and I think this was a revolution that the fast moving consumer goods companies came up with uh, and I think uh, there are banks in India who have successfully adopted this model which is start small and learn about the credit quality of the person and then gradually increase the size of the loan and, and create an incentive therefore to repay because with every repayment, you're going to get a longer maturity and a, and a bigger size loan. Uh, so, so I think I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that there are many parts that are accessible to everyone. Uh, and nevertheless, I think, as I said, uh, the, the spirit of the book is that I want to raise a debate about why in the last 10 years, uh, most economists think that we have kind of fallen behind in achieving our potential. And I think lack of healthy financial sector has been a prime uh, explanation. Uh, and it's it's and it's not about any one uh, one term of any government. It seems now it's ten years, so we have not been able to fix this problem for a while. So I think I think the roots are deeper, uh, and I think we need to get to the roots uh, so we can have the right diagnosis and then the right solutions. Um, so for a last short section, uh, we wanted to do a rapid fire with a central banker. Uh, so I'll ask you a question. Uh, you can answer in one or as few words as possible. Okay, uh, I'll try. <laughs> try and keep it a little lighthearded. Okay. Uh, do you think I should buy a Bitcoin? Uh, no, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, do donate the money to Pratham. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the most Gujarati thing about you? Uh, my love for Dandia and for Handu. <laughs> uh, how do you keep yourself motivated? Oh, I, I, I just try to do anything I do to the best I can. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it's sort of like an internal vigilance of sorts. Uh, Which country do you think is best poised to come out of this crisis stronger? Uh, as of now, it looks like Germany because they have controlled the health curve. Uh, I think uh, countries that are not controlling the health curve will struggle, I think, to come out well. Which is a book that has left a lasting impression on you? Uh, there are many, uh, but I would say the writings of uh, Hayek, who was an Austrian economist and who spoke about the overreach of the state. Uh, he was, of course, most focused on communism versus capitalism. Uh, I'm, I'm not as extreme in my views, but I think increasingly what is happening is the, the role of the state is expanding all over the world. 
And I think we may be tilting a bit too far in going away from allowing the private sector to find the solutions. Sorry, that's not rapid fire, but... <laughs> also, also, I think one of your favorite books is uh, Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Oh, yeah, uh, that's... in non-economics, that is my all-time favorite. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think, how do I keep myself motivated? I keep thinking about Santiago, the old man, all the time. <laughs> Who do you think we should have on our show next? Oh, um, I, I think you should interview Dr. Rukmini Banerjee, who is the present CEO of Pratham India, in my view. Uh, I think the work that Pratham is doing is truly outstanding, and it's really what is uh, one of the most structural, one of the most important structural ingredient India needs, which is to have a well-educated youth base. So now that you are an ex-central banker of India. Uh, you've achieved all these accolades in academia, in research, as well as in industry. Uh, what's your ambition now? Oh, I, I, I feel I have barely just started. Uh, uh, so, you know, no, no, no. I, I don't know what, what my next ambition is, but uh, I still feel I have some proofs left inside me. Uh, I, I joke at home every time I'm winning a game of cards, I joke that I'm going to do proofs today because it's my lucky day, you know. So, no, I still have some research left in me. I want to try and understand the world, uh, understand the economics. And through doing that, if in a small way, you can make a policy difference here and there to to move the needle uh, to a better place. Uh, I think I'll be very happy in succeeding with that. All right. Uh, thank you, Dr. Veeral, uh, for coming on our show. Uh, it was great talking with you. And, thank, uh, you. Uh, thank you, Daksh. And uh, if you have any follow-up questions, uh, please feel free to write to me. Thanks for listening to the show this week. And if you want to ask us any questions or want to see someone specific on our show, write to us at dollagujarati at gmail.com. You can also tweet to us at dollagujarati. Make sure you don't miss any episode by subscribing to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or however it is that you get your podcast. I'm Daksh Shah, and you've been listening to Dollar Gujarat.